slaughterer? Texas John Slaughter, remember that? Fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, grace, kindness, and goodness. You'll never stop this flame. Oh, wait a minute. I was going to sing a song, but that would be a good uh, title for a message. You'll never stop this flame. I will never let you go. That's what uh, the Lord says to us. So then, we have, beginning in our Wednesday, November 17th, technically speaking, message, an announcement to make that Salvation Army Treasures for Children, that's exactly what they are, the Treasures for Children campaign has been inaugurated and it's going to be with us through December 14th where we will be collecting new toys now until December 14th so that children in the general area here of New Kensington who may not have had the privilege of toys on Christmas morning may have that privilege of new toys on Christmas morning. You can call the office at 724-335-3550. That's again, 724-335-3550 to drop off and let Kathy know when you're coming. And I hope that we are very generous in this Christmas season. So Father, I thank you once again, especially for those who understand the purpose that you have in our dispersion, which has been happening in these, what we have called Jubilee years, and this year of the great King, our Lord Jesus Christ, this year of today, which we called last year. We thank you that today is a day in which we can look to our great King, not complain about politicians or political policies, but pray and look to the great King, our great King, our Lord Jesus Christ, and consider our present citizenship in heaven, in the Ura, Napolis, called heaven. And we ask now, Father, that we will be able to fulfill the reason that you created us, that we may experience those three laws that Maximus the Confessor, your servant, spoke of, and that we may quest for truth in a way that you desire us to do it in this life. And so, Father, may this message be directed toward a radical attentiveness on your word, a radical occupation with your son, and a radical disengagement with all those psychological maladies that are related to narcissistic self-occupation with anxious preoccupation with the details of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Message, Paul, Peter, and the PT, the author of Hebrews. And we're going to consider some of their commonalities. The passage around which we are generally hovering or over which we are generally hovering is Hebrews 7, 1 to 3. I will read our working translation so far. Now about this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest to God most high, who met with Abraham and blessed him as he returned from the defeat of the kings, to whom Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything first, 
The interpretation of his name is King of Righteousness. Then he is also King of Salem, which means King of Peace. Without father, without mother, neither having beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Now we came to Hebrews through a study of the doctrine of the mystery. That was October 6th, 2019, through February 20th, 2020, which was on the verge of the outbreak of a certain little plague. The primary text for this doctrine of the mystery is Ephesians 1, 9 through 12, which I'm going to read to you right now. My translation of Ephesians 1, 9 through 12 with a few tweaks and a few modifications from the usual English texts. God made known to us, made known to us the mystery of his will according to the gracious intention of his purpose. Notice that, the gracious intention of his purpose, the benevolent intention of his purpose, which he intended in his beloved son. For the administration of his household in the fullness of times. Now God's household obviously is the universe. He is the builder of all things as we know from Hebrews 3, 4. But well, let's continue. For the administration of his household in the fullness of times to gather and sum up the all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth in him. In whom you also were predestined to be made his inheritance according to the purpose of the one, there it is again, the purpose of the one who effects everything according to the unstoppable resolution of his will. So that we, this is something I haven't emphasized too much lately, but I am now. So that we, this is verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ would exist to the praise of his glory. Who is we that are first to hope in Christ? We who believe. We who believe in Christ because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we are the first to believe or the first to hope in Christ. And we are to exist to the praise of his glory. There will be others who will hope in Christ, the rest of humanity, that hasn't yet hoped in him. <clears throat> so that we would exist to the praise of his glory. Let that sink in. So that we would exist to the praise of his glory. What a sublime purpose. This is our raison d'etre, the reason that we are, the reason that we exist, is to the praise of his glory. Questing, and I'm quoting now, I ended last message, or at least brought up in last message, the phenomenal book about Maximus the Confessor, 
And this is another quote. He says, questing after. I want you to realize that word, questing after. Going on a quest after something. It's more than just an inquiry. It's more than just a query or a questioning. It's more than just a, an investigation. It's more like a searching. We're like the John Ford movie of 1956 starring John Wayne, The Searchers. We're questing. I like that word because that's the word, the general meaning of the word that Maximus chooses in his book called Ad Thalassium. 59, 59th section of his book called Ad Thalassium. We'll get more into Maximus as we go. So that you would exist to the praise of his glory is a sublime purpose in life and our raison d'etre. And here's the quote, questing after this grand mystery. And I just nucleated that mystery in Ephesians 1, 9 to 11 or 1, 9 to 12. It's also nucleated in passages like Colossians 2, 1 and 2, Colossians 1, 26 to 2, 2, for example, and also in Romans 16, 25 to 27, and other passages on the mystery. Questing after this grand mystery, as Maximus indicates in Ad Thalassium 59, on, and we're going to turn here to 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11, was the labor of the ancient prophets from Abraham to Zechariah, and now is the vocation of every Christian whose natural intellectual and moral faculties are continually being stretched by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to quote that again. That comes from the exquisite introduction to the book on the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ in which there are selections from Maximus the Confessor's writings from the 7th century. But I'm going to quote again. Here's from the intro. Questing after this grand mystery, as Maximus indicates in Athalassium 59 on 1 Peter 1, 10, 11, was the labor of the ancient prophets from Abraham to Zechariah and Abraham, incidentally, was a prophet. And now is the vocation of every Christian whose natural intellectual and moral faculties are continually being stretched by the grace of the Holy Spirit. What are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing in Tetelestai Phalanx? We're having our faculties continually stretched by the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what teaching does. That's what receiving good Bible teaching does. It stretches our faculties, exercises them as Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 says, the exercise of our faculties. It brings about a psychic conversion. For example, what happens in a psychic conversion, incidentally? One of the things that happens in a psychic conversion is our erotic desire is converted into an intense desire to know God, where we pant after the living God like a deer pants after water brooks after thirsting many days. Many of the affections and passions and ambitions that we have 
in our sinful selves can be conformed and converted into a pursuit of God and a quest after this grand mystery. That's why we're here. There's a million, millions of Christians are not interested in this grand mystery. They're interested in some of the basic things about Christianity. There's nothing wrong with that. They're interested in getting a pep talk about how they can succeed in their lives and their families and their marriages. And I'm not against that. In fact, I think good Bible teaching will create that without having to preach on that which is almost done ad nauseum today. We're preaching about this and that thing. Christ isn't in focus. Christ and him crucified isn't the central focus. It's just about something that is entertaining to Christians or appealing to people of so-called faith. I'm not about that. I'm not about that. I'm never going to be, so it's too late if you want to change me. So, I'm going to read that quote one more time again because I don't think anything gives a better definition of what we are in our local church and what many other churches can be and are and maybe have advanced way beyond us. Who knows, of course. Questing after this grand mystery, as Maximus indicates, on 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, was the labor of the ancient prophets from Abraham to Zechariah and now is the vocation of every Christian whose intellectual and natural, moral and intellectual faculties are continually being stretched by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I don't like that message. It stretches me. It makes me have to reach out. It makes me oh, grow, increase, challenges me. It's supposed to. I could not think of a better description of what's happening in our study of Hebrews 2020. And really, of what goes on in Tetelestai Phalanx and what's been going on for 43 years. We're questing after the grand mystery of Christ. That's all. As did all the prophets who inquired and searched about such a great salvation that is being revealed to us now as being brought about, a salvation that's brought about by none other than the sufferings of Christ and the glories that result from these sufferings. To exist for the glory of God's praise, and as Ephesians 1.6 says it even more expansively, to exist for the glory of the praise of God's grace, means that we quest after an understanding of the grand mystery of Christ. That's been my quest. Sometimes when I didn't even know it was my quest. That's been your quest. It's been the quest of many of the theologians I've studied, both ancient, medieval, and modern. And I hope it's your quest. Because in my view, every Christian is a quester after that grand mystery. We aspire to know him. That's normal Christian living. Philippians 3, 9 and following. Consider, therefore, a text that Maximus considered and that I want to consider from 1 Peter. We've already seen some of the parallels of 1 Peter with Hebrews. And there are many of them, and they go deep. And I think you'll see a few more of these today. And you'll also see, of course, parallels to Paul. There's a lot of parallels between, you can study these out yourself, between Ephesians 1, 9 to 12 and 1 Peter 1, 9 to 12. 
can also see even right in the introduction of Ephesians where Peter calls God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same as in Ephesians 1.3, Peter and Paul. A lot of commonality between Peter and Paul and Peter said about Paul that in all his epistles he spoke of the patience of God which is salvation. Peter commended Paul. Now then, let's consider 1 Peter 1, 9 to 12 in this connection. 1 Peter 1, this again is my translation. Receiving the goal. Now we already looked at the 1, 6 through 8 in previous increments. So I refer you to those. You know what I think you should do? I think you should read an 82-page book. Now that I think of it. The 82-page book can be found online on our website, tellusdie.org, under series. You select a series. The series is called The Doctrine of the Mystery 2019. And then you pull up the PDF and you read the whole PDF. It's 82 pages long on the mystery. It'll help you in your quest for the grand mystery. It might even spike your attentiveness. It might even encourage you in the purpose for which you've been created and redeemed, the mystery. And interestingly, that was the another reason to read that 82-page brief book. You can scan it, skip it, skip through it. You can skim it or you can peruse it. But it is the springboard that sprung us into Hebrews. That's another reason why I hope you'll read it. Uh, I don't know why I suddenly became inspired to say that, but I think you'll be encouraged if you do it. Now, when I say that, maybe a couple hundred people hear me say that, maybe two people will actually do it. Congratulations to you too. Maybe you get married to each other. Who knows? Anyways, I could think of no better way to express my heart at this time either. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, 9 to 12 in this connection. Receiving the goal, that word is a, the goal itself, tell us. It's one of those tell words that's so important to Hebrews, which has to do with completion. Tell us is also used in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, the goal, then comes the end, etc. But let's look, try to hunker down on this. Receiving the goal of your, of your faith. Your faith there is tes pistios. Your faith. The goal of your faith is what? Salvation. The salvation of your souls. The goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Now, that means that the salvation of your souls means that you now experience a higher well-being that goes beyond just the enjoyment of being. You experience a higher well-being. That's what soteria is. It's a salvation. It's a higher well-being that anticipates an eternal well-being. That is beatific grace when we see the Lord and when we're like, made like him. goes on to say, concerning this salvation, that's soteria, you'll see it in print. And you can compare this to Hebrews 2.3, our great salvation. Listen to what he says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets have, and I like the way Maximus does this, quested and carefully inquired concerning the grace that was to come to you. That's the grace that is Jesus 
himself. The grace in Jesus through whom came grace and truth in John 1.14 and 1.17. They, that is the prophets, verse 11, were on a quest to determine what time and what circumstances to which the Holy Spirit in them was testifying or indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories after that. The Hebrews PT makes a whole lot out of this, the sufferings of Christ and the glories after that. He makes a lot of this in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, for example. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving for their own benefit, but for yours. And now this good news has been proclaimed to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That's divine mission too, for those of you that recall. Things which angels stoop to glimpse. Things which angels stoop to glimpse. There's another good title for a message. Things which angels stoop to glimpse. We quest after the knowledge of a mystery in Christ, a mystery that is Christ, things that angels stoop to glimpse. The glories after the sufferings of Christ, listen carefully to several of these principles. I can only give them in the form of a scaffolding, and I hope that future preachers and teachers will fill and build around the scaffolding, this scaffolding. The glories after the sufferings of Christ are the glories that come about directly as a result of those sufferings. There are remarkable parallels between 1 Peter and Hebrews here. In fact, parallels between Paul and Peter and the PT and the prophets. The prophets and Paul and Peter and the PT. I'll say that again. The glories after the sufferings of Christ are the glories that come about directly as a result of those sufferings, the sufferings of Christ. And there are remarkable parallels between 1 Peter and Hebrews here. First, Peter speaks of the Spirit of Christ speaking in the prophets. The PT speaks of God speaking in the prophets. God speaking in the prophets is the same as the Spirit of Christ speaking in the prophets. Peter speaks of the prophets in general, prophesying not about something that would be inaugurated in their own day, but in that time of Peter's readers. The PT speaks likewise that God spoke in the prophets provisionally. Hebrews 1.1. So there's a connection between Hebrews 1.1, God speaking provisionally in the prophets, and 1 Peter 1.10 and 11 where God speaks to in the prophets about something that is down the road. It's only provisional to them and only definitive in the future. So Peter speaks of the prophets prophesying not about something 
a salvation in particular that would be inaugurated in their own day, but in the time of Peter's readers. Doesn't mean that those prophets wouldn't be the beneficiaries of that salvation. Of course not. The PT speaks likewise that God spoke in the prophets provisionally. Peter speaks of the prophets questing, questing, questing on a quest to determine the time and circumstances that would pertain regarding the Messiah's sufferings and, again, the glories that would be a consequence of those sufferings. The PT speaks of Jesus, what? Crowned with glory and honor as a result of, literally because of the suffering of death which he experienced. Hebrews 2.9b through 2.10. Now that this experience of death that Jesus endured was for everyone. Hebrews 2.9 is a particular emphasis of both the PT and of Peter, and of course of Paul, who determined to know nothing and to communicate nothing that was detached from Jesus Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2.2. Peter speaks of the prophetic salvation that the prophets anticipated would come. I'll say that again. Peter speaks of the prophetic salvation that the prophets anticipated. The PT spoke of, quote, such a great salvation and urged his readers not to neglect it or to be inattentive to it, for it has come, Hebrews 2.3. Peter speaks of the coming grace that the spirit of Christ in the prophets indicated. The PT speaks of the spirit of grace himself in Hebrews 10.29. Side note, important side note. The sufferings of Christ were of particularly or particular prophetic interest to all the prophets not just Isaiah 53. As recorded in Luke 24, 25, and 26, the risen Jesus said to the two disciples on the way, on the highway to Emmaus, any highway that Jesus walks on becomes a king's highway. On the highway to Emmaus, Jesus said to two slow to believe Let's call them molasses disciples. Once I was working at a grocery store and the boss, I was just kind of dreaming. I was 16 years old. I was just fantasizing and dreaming, putting cans on the shelf, facing out the cans very slowly. And the manager came up to me and he said, you know, Rick, you're moving as slow as molasses going uphill in January. That's a Vermont that's not a compliment in Vermont. So these guys' hearts were as slow as molasses going uphill in January to believe the prophets. So if you give me a minute, I can 
savor that memory and live in deep depression and sorrow for a few minutes as I think about how I failed my boss that day. No, actually I don't do that. I've already forgiven myself and moved on. I hope you have too. So, Luke, in Luke, the risen Jesus said to the two disciples, slow disciples, molasses disciples, on the highway to Emmaus, how senseless and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. How senseless and slow you are. If that was today, those two disciples would have sued Jesus because he made them feel so badly about themselves. How senseless and slow you are to believe in your hearts. All that the prophets have spoken. Then he said this. Incidentally, what the prophets had spoken is the same as what God had spoken in the prophets. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus went on to say, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? They had already been whining about them. He suffered crucifixion and death, according to Luke 24.20. We pinned all our hopes on him. And Jesus said, wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? In other words, don't you realize that these very things, these sufferings that the Christ had to endure are the very entry into glory for him and the entry into glory for him is the entry into glory for all the universe and all of humanity in him. What's the cross mean to you? prophets were also invested in a prophetic subject that Peter mentions in his sermon at the beautiful gate in another book Luke wrote called Acts in Acts 3.21. Peter said, quote, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from time immemorial of the times of the restoration of all things. It seems the prophets were invested in two things, the suffering of Christ and the restoration of all things. The sufferings of Christ that leads to glory, which is universal glory because it's the restoration of all things. You can't separate the center of the cross from the horizon of the restoration of all things. For the restoration of all things is connected to and emanates from that central radical center of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why I call the restoration of all things an instauration. It's a direct result of the sufferings of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who to me is reality himself, who is redemption, who is sanctification, who is wisdom, who is our hope, who is our peace, who is our all, and who will comprise all by his very being.
Now let's reason together. Come on, let's reason together. The two prominent topics of the prophets, in whom God spoke before he spoke definitively and finally in his son in these last days. The two prominent topics were, one, the sufferings of the Messiah, God's son and the glories that would result from those sufferings. That's all part of one topic. And two, the times of the restoration of all things. This is what it means to quest after the cosmic mystery of Christ, the grand mystery, the great mystery, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 5.32, 1 Timothy 3.16. Now, by a conflation of these two topics, the sufferings of Messiah and the glory that he enters into, as a result of them, and the times of the restoration of all things, by a conflation of these two, it may be inferred that the glories that resulted from Messiah's sufferings ultimately include the restoration, the glorious restoration of all things, the transfiguration, the glorious transfiguration of the universe in all of its times. But we don't see, we don't see that yet, do we? We don't see the restoration of all things yet. As Hebrews 2.8 puts it, as things now stand, we are not yet seeing everything in subjection to him. Ah, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. That's our central thesis verse for our whole study. We see Jesus, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death, the suffering of death resulted in the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, a glory and an honor which is prefigured and a guy named Melchizedek. See how I came to it? See what I did there? That's what Mr. Saturday Night said. See what I did there? Consequently, Jesus is the embodiment of the restoration of all things and the guarantee and guarantor of all things being restored. Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor because of, all caps, because of, or all caps, as a result of the suffering of death. Hebrews 2.9b. The founder of salvation, that's what he's called. The founder of salvation, Hebrews 2.10, who brings many sons and daughters to glory. Remember, many and its association with all. The founder of our salvation, who brings many sons and daughters to glory, was completed. Hebrews is regarding completion. Or he was perfected, is another way to put it, by sufferings, according to the will of God, who created all things. As God willed, 
in the mystery of the cross to perfect his son in the vocation of his priestly royalty by sufferings. So the God who created all things willed to complete that creation through redemption. And that's why creation is suffering right now, groaning in anticipation of the apocalypse of the sons of God. So, I'll say it again. The founder of our salvation, who brings many sons and daughters to glory, was completed or perfected by sufferings according to the will of God who created all things. Hebrews 2.10. You and I are also going to be perfected through sufferings. God who created all things by his Son willed that all things be completed through the sufferings of God accomplished in his Son. I'll say that again. Don't worry about, I'm not saying you anticipate suffering in your life. Don't. I anticipate grace in my life. We have suffered. I've been on the planet for three score and ten. And I have suffered. I have not suffered like others have suffered. I have not suffered an infinity, in, in infinitesimally like Jesus has. And we all have suffered in some way or another. We're in that stage of history that in which creation groans and it's going to yield to a glorious transfiguration so don't get me wrong about that and don't get all anxious about suffering in the future don't get anxious about suffering in the future get rejoicing about anticipating God's grace whether through times of suffering or prosperity in the future God who created all things by his son willed that all things be completed through the sufferings of God accomplished in his son. The PT sings in perfect harmony with the first epistle of Peter in this all-important symphonic doctrinal movement. The two profound prophetic topics, the sufferings and the resultant glory of the Messiah and the restoration of all things combine in the explosive insight that the restoration of all things is the direct and universal result of the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, which was inexorably followed by his resurrection from the dead. His ascension to heaven, his entry into the region beyond the second curtain in the heavenly holy of holies, his seated session at the right hand of God above the heavens that is presently ongoing. This is the reason that I refer to the restoration of all things as the instauration. It comes about through Messiah's crucifixion, death, resurrection, and exaltation. This I also call the universal impact of the cross of Christ, an impact that is restorative, redemptive, reconciling, and rectifying. 
The restoration of all things is, in fact, the impact of the cross of Christ. It is the universal horizon that emanates from the radical center, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I hope I can say now, as I have throughout four decades plus three years, that I have determined to know nothing and to communicate nothing that is detached from Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the divine mystery. This is what Paul called the great mystery in 1 Timothy 3.16 and in Ephesians 5.32 where he related it to the marriage of Christ and the church. This is what Maximus the Confessor called the grand mystery. It is the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ which I would call the comprising of all things with Christ, which Irenaeus called the recapitulation of all things, which Paul called anakephaliosis, which Jesus himself called the palingenesia, the again genesis. which Peter called apocatastasis, is the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is conversant with this mystery. He knows it. He's riddled with it. He knows it. This mystery involves what Bernard Lonergan called the just and mysterious law of the cross, a law which speaks of the transformation of the evils of the human race into the supreme good. The glory with which Jesus is crowned is the glory of a king. The honor with which he is crowned is the honor of our great archpriest, which was prefigured in the person of one Melchizedek. The quest of the prophets and the patriarchs and of all people of faith ought to be our quest. The quest of all people of faith in the epics before God spoke definitively in a son was also a quest for the city, the architect and builder of which is God, the city of the great king. And Father, I thank you for your fidelity, your faithfulness, your kindness, and the expression of your benevolent purpose to us in this year of the great king. And we bow in our hearts and kneel in our hearts and minds before him and we confess that Yahweh is Yeshua to your glory, Father. And I thank you that you're glorified by our confession about your son. We have confronted a divine figure in our quest and in our trek across the desert of this age, this evil age. 
we have encountered a divine figure. We have encountered your son. We have encountered Jesus Christ, our Lord, our crucified Savior, our crucified God, our risen Lord. Nothing is more important to us than him. And I thank you for it. Incentivize us in this quest, Father. And may our lives be in deed and in reality and in every way an existence to the praise of your glory. In fact, to the praise of the glory of your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.